And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to You Irons, the West Ham podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. I'm joined as always by Roshane Thomas, who is The Athletic's wonderful West Ham correspondent. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a week. You can read all of our articles on West Ham and so much more, including Roshane's recent article on how Pablo Fernandes has become one of the first names on David Moyes' team sheet. More of that on this pod a little bit later. Just go to athletic.com slash West Ham pod and sign up for just £1 a week. That's athletic.com slash West Ham pod. Roshane, hello. How are you? Have you recovered from the dramas of Saturday <laughs> night yet? I'm all good, thanks. And I've definitely recovered from the dramas from the game against Fulham, especially that... Well, we'll get into it, that ridiculous penalty from Lockman, my goodness. <laughs> to have the cheek to attempt that in the, in the last, virtually the last kick of the, the last kick of the ball is just crazy. I'd been um, glued to CNN and the American elections for the previous sort of 48 hours. And there was all this nerve wracking sort of recounts in Georgia and Pennsylvania. And you're biting your nails and hoping for the outcome that I think most of us wanted. And uh, And I thought, oh, well. At least I can distract myself now by watching a nice, comfortable uh, victory against Fulham. But I tell you what, it was worse than the Georgia recount, to be fair. The, the way that game ended, um, it was it was real heart-in-the-mouth stuff, wasn't it? I mean, I, I, I'd got to the point in the game where I couldn't see us coming away with anything other than a point. Um, and that penalty was obviously so dramatic and ludicrous that it's almost you know, defined everyone's sort of idea of, of the match. But really the big drama was, was that we managed to score in, what was it? Was it the 90th, the, the, the um, Suchek 91st minute? And and it was sort of like an epilogue, the whole penalty thing. But until the 91st minute, I thought we'd, we'd blown what had been a really fantastic chance of getting three points. I thought this is classic West Ham. We've come through all those tough games looking decent. We've come up against Fulham on the weakest sides in the Premier League and we've blown it, which was sort of surprising because for about the first 20 minutes of that game, most of the first half, to be fair, we absolutely battered them, didn't we? Absolutely spot on, Sam. First 20 minutes, first time could have been up by at least two goals. You know, Alain hitting via crossbar with a header, boring shot, narrowly going over the bar, when their keeper saved it. And West Ham, were you thinking, wow, West Ham looking really good here. And then just after that, for whatever reason, Fulham grew in confidence and we sat back and we had a few chances at goal as well. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, another performance where West Ham start well and then we just can't keep up. And then after the break, I felt like we improved in fact. I felt like, you know, we've got into our stride a little bit, created more chances, sort of repelled um, Fulham's threat, even when Obana came off. And then we'll talk, we'll talk about it now. Scoring the winning goal from Suchek and that penalty. The thing is, right, there was so much suspense of that penalty because the replay showed Ben Rama caught Tom, Tom Kearney in the box and then the referee didn't blow initially. VAR said, you know, it's a penalty and then he walked over to the monitor 
And then he pointed to the spot to say, hey, it's a penalty to Fulham. So I used tweak deck to tweak during matches, right? And I I had it prepared to say 1-1, one, one, whoever, like, Lookman scores from the spot. Because I was adamant it was going to go in. <laughs> I was just so oh, adamant. Man, I can't in. believe you've admitted that. <laughs> I know. I know. I was, I was like, you know what? They're going to score. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. So when he missed, I was like, yes, he's missed. 1-0 win for West Ham. And then I thought to myself, hold on. Do you really just attempt that? Did he really do that? <laughs> Did Lookman really do that? I was like, oh my goodness. Because it was such a bad penny. Did, yeah, you, did you Did you have a feeling? Do you ever allow yourself a feeling like, I think he's going to miss? I sometimes get that. And there was something about it, because what they said was, they said, oh, Mitrovic missed their last penalty. I don't know when that was, right? Because when, they, when you get a penalty in the last minute in a game like that, right, Mitrovic is the bloke you send up to take that spot kick. Like someone with guts, someone with bravery, with courage, with experience. He is their talisman, right? And so when I saw it wasn't Mitrovic stepping up to take the penalty, I thought, hang about, there could be a chance here. You try to assess their face, don't you? And sort of think, <laughs> does he look nervous? And I thought, there's a huge amount of pressure here. This is a very, very precious point for Fulham. And he has been handed the ball. He's new to the club. This is his first like um, opportunity to take a penalty, right? He knows that he, he, he wasn't first choice penalty taker until this week. I thought the odds are stacked against this bloke, right? Um, but then again, if the odds are stacked against you in a high pressure situation like that, most players would just think, I'm going to put my foot through it and hope for the best. Rather miss like Chris Waddle, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, he, he's thought, I don't know whether that demonstrates nerves or a supreme, almost naive arrogance to try something like that. I, I think that he sort of came up with that idea at the last split second. That's what it looked like to me. Like he was going to put his foot through it and at last minute he thought, I'm yeah. going to dink it. Before, let me just try and be like Andre Pirlo. Let me, just, yeah. let me just try and be like him. And you know what? It's so bad because I'm pretty sure Fabianski dived and then he had time to, you know, get back up and save it. So it's like, oh my goodness. It's just, yeah, it's really bad. And you know what? <laughs> I see we'd be laughing, but what really took it the biscuit for me was when like Fabian Barbrena, he actually hugged Lookman because he oh, felt so, he felt so, worst, so for him. That's the greatest humiliation is when a teammate comforts you. I don't know about you, but I think I celebrated harder at the penalty miss than I did at the goal. I mean, the goal was a huge relief and I was out of my seat and shouting as you'd expect. But when, when the penalty was missed, it was uh, just a, an incredible feeling because it's just something that is beyond contemplation, isn't it? For you to sort of get, get pulled out of the fire like that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the penalty again in a minute and whether or not it was a, a, a legitimate penalty decision in the first place. Um, in terms of our performance, that first half, we, we sort of, we, we put them under siege in the first half, as we said. I mean, when I look back at the highlights um, the following morning, which when you wake up from a victory, your head's still buzzing and you just want to relive it, don't you? So, yeah, you're straight on the highlights. And I couldn't believe the amount of chances that that we had, clear-cut chances, hitting the post, the keeper pulling off saves, a couple of tremendous efforts from range from um, Bowen. Absolutely unbelievable. And I think we talked on last week's podcast, how is Moyes going to approach a game, which will be the first game in a long time where the opposition are going to sit back and invite us on, right? 
we're a team with lots of pace who are focused on counter-attacks. How can we cope with a team who are going to come to our place and sit back? And I think, you know, some people may have been surprised he didn't change the lineup to accommodate that. But one thing that he did do was what other big clubs do against us when we sit back against them, which is, right, we've just got to attack them with a, with shock and awe in the first 15 minutes, right, when they're not yet bedded in to a shape and a system. And before they even know what's happening, we've hit them in a whirlwind, just like Tottenham did against us the other week when they went 3-0 up. And we did do that. We pulled it off. And it was only, you know, some fantastic saves by their goalkeeper and the width of a crossbar that really saved them from being 3-0 down in 20 minutes. We could have done to them what Tottenham did to us. So I thought in that sense, he got it right. But so many of these things come down to tiny little margins, don't they? Yeah, I agree. And in many ways, it was similar to the uh, performance against Newcastle because if that game also hit the bar, I remember four nails hitting the uh, crossbar and uh, I think Antonio was well so it was very similar to that game and the fact we created so many chances but just just couldn't score and it's like because that first 20 minutes obviously West Ham have played well over the past few weeks some really good results but I haven't seen West Ham like really start a match like that at quite some time so as you touched on you could see that you know things are you know things were going well in terms of the game plan just for whatever reason the players were unable to put their chances away yeah, um, so I thought he got that right. I guess there was a, a bit of inevitability that if we didn't get that goal, then Fulham were going to have their spells in the game. They did, but we we limited them really, didn't we, to not many shots on target ultimately. So, you know, yes, it was a 1-0 victory and people say that, that we scraped it, we got lucky and, and we'll get onto it. There was a couple of huge doses of luck in that victory. But I think overall... You can you you can't blame Moyes. You can look at it, look at like almost all the performances of the players, and thought, yeah, we did well in that game. We we did decent. You you can't be you know thrashing teams like we did with Wolves and Leicester every single week. You know, L Liverpool um, got a bit lucky against us. You know, Liverpool win games in that manner, just like we we do. You know, there is no team that just annihilates everyone in their path. Um, so I, I basically what I'm saying is, Rashane, I feel just as confident now as I did do over the previous few weeks. You know, I think that was a really positive result. And I, I can't really fault any of the players. Uh, I think everyone had a decent match. Um, Halla is obviously, as always, the sort of one that most people were focusing on. I saw a bit of an improvement in his performance. So did I. It was, it was, you know, work rate was good, making runs off the ball. And I felt like it was one of his better performances. Unlucky not to score on the first half after he's touched on. And yeah, it's hard to think of a player who was really poor. Everyone, you know, played to the best of their ability. And I reckon Moyes would have learned a lot more about his players in that performance against Newcastle, sorry, against Fulham, as opposed to like the wins against Wolverhampton or or Leicester or the comeback against Tottenham. Mm. Very few teams have been able to master the art of winning ugly, <laughs> not least West Ham. Yeah. And that's that's a skill, you know, to be able to win ugly. It's like I can think of boxing and, you know, having, you know, that sort of uh, mindset not to get hit. That, that requires a lot of discipline. And if it's the sort of characteristic we haven't seen from a, a David Moyes team probably since he's returned, really. So the fact that West Ham have that in their luck and uh, they can sort of win in a gritty fashion, obviously luck was in our, <laughs> our favour in terms of the missed penalty, but... 
<laughs> West Ham would do some luck, Sam. West Ham would yes. do some luck. Yeah. Because more often than not, it's West Ham on on the receiving end of a VAR decision with other team scoring like a, from a free kick or a penalty. And you're thinking, where will we get our chance? Where will luck be on our mm. side? And mm. and against Fulham, it was on West Ham's side. So all in yeah. all, yeah, plenty of positives. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It wasn't just the penalty miss. We should also say that, you know, our goal could have easily been ruled off for offside, probably by the letter of the law, should have been. But you look at last week against uh, Liverpool... Um, I felt that, you know, we had a decision that was very similar go against us for the, for their goal. So I think these things even out, don't they? A hundred percent even out. And yeah, I saw uh, in um, Scott Parker's post-match press conference, he was like, listen, why on earth was that a goal? Mm. I was in an offside position and David Moyes said, if he was Scott Parker, he'll be upset. Yeah. And I was thinking, David, come on, you, you should be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> but I, really I really think it reflects well on a manager yeah. to say that because yeah. you know there's something when you see these managers come out and moan and complain about decisions against them you sort of think oh it's so childish you know you're so subjective in the way you look at these things but if you are also willing when the decision goes against you to hold your hands up and go yeah we got a bit lucky this week then I think that it means that, you, you know, your, your opinion on any decision carries a lot more credibility, doesn't it? Uh, because, you know, you, no one wants to be called a hypocrite. And a lot of these managers are because they'll only complain when it goes against them. Um, to be fair, you know, last week when Liverpool scored their winner, there were players standing in, in an offside position, um, what could be categorised as an offside position. And people said that although the player in question, I can't remember who it was, was not interfering with play uh, and therefore he wasn't ruled offside the fact that he was even stood in the area in that offside position obviously had an impact on Fabianski's positioning and awareness and therefore of course he did um, you know you've got to be quite far away from where the ball is in play for you to not have any influence on the passage of play Um, so I thought we were a bit unlucky against Liverpool but to be fair as Scott Parker said, the cross came in um, for Haller. It was a cross aimed at Haller. That's why the cross arrived where it did. It wasn't aimed at Suchek or Ben Rama. It was aimed at Haller. So the defender, therefore, had to make the decision to head it away. And that header fell straight to the feet of Ben Rama. And that's what created the goal. So I think, you know, listen, it's a West Ham podcast. I don't want to go on about it, I suppose. But, we, you know, we have to accept... I think we deserved the three points. I think we were the better team. We created loads more chances than them and we've been really unlucky. And therefore, 1-0, ultimately, it ref- you know, is a fair reflection of the, of the game. But yeah. we have to admit that, you know, if that had gone against us, we'd be fuming about that decision. Oh, 100%. Similar to the way David Moyes was fuming against Liverpool and the penalty was given against uh, Masuaku. And another thing that impressed me about the win is like, as we touched on in previous podcasts, for whatever reason, West Ham, you know, tend to struggle against teams like Fulham. Teams that on paper appear to be winnable fixtures. And that's another hurdle, you know, that I've been able to get get over. 
Next, we'll touch later in the pod, games against, you know, uh, Aston Villa, Sheffield United will try and win as well. But at least the players have that sort of satisfaction that, hey, we weren't at our best, but we're able to win. That's another art of that's another art of football. You can't always win five 0 or six 0 every week. Sometimes you gotta have a have to grind out a result, dig deep, persevere, and get those one 0 wins. But just, they're just as important as, as satisfying as as the big scoreline. So that's just me. Other people like the massive scorelines, but I like those close edge games where you learn a lot more about the players and you know them having to dig deep. I thought their penalty was a bit harsh. Um, as soon as I saw the replay, I thought to myself, well, that's definitely going to be a penalty. Yeah. Because obviously we learned last week with the penalty against Liverpool, the rule appears to be any contact at all um, uh, means it's a penalty, which I think is ridiculous. I think <laughs> I, I, ju- I just think it's madness what penalties are getting given for now. I think it makes it makes the game ludicrous. I think people need to earn a goal, right? A goal needs to feel that it wasn't cheated, okay? And, you know, when you're seeing these silly handballs where the, the hand didn't make any difference to the flight of the ball, didn't prevent in any rational sense, there is no way you could say that the, 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 the hand had prevented a goal-scoring opportunity, right? So that's the handballs in the area. Then the fouls in the area, it's no longer a foul. You don't have to call it a foul. What you have to call it is contact in the area. And that could be on a player who is, you know, three or four stages away from even shaping to shoot. If you're stood even half a, a, a foot into the uh, in the area, if you're like a millimetre into the area, and someone so much as taps your shoulder, that's a penalty. And I'm not criticising the referees, because as I understand it, Rashane, as I can see it, that seems to be the official rules, right? So penalties are being given for silly reasons, and teams are not, earning goals. I mean, you know, I think a penalty should be given when some sort of deliberate, um, it doesn't even have to be deliberate, actually. You know, if someone's raised their arm and stopped the ball flying over the line, then that should be a penalty, even if you don't think that they deliberately did it. It's their, their arm flailing or what have you. But it has to have quite clearly prevented what was likely to be a goal. If not, we're just seeing silly results that don't reflect, you know, the, the respective qualities of the team's. And it's just madness. It is madness. And we've seen it two weeks running now, both times against us. And we will probably benefit for it as well. So I'm not, you know, being a, a conspiracy theorist and thinking, you know, it's all going against West Ham. I just think the, the rules are mad. I agree. And to me, it feels like real life FIFA. If you're a striker of this era, oh my goodness. You, you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'm going to try to score a penalty today. Because it's, it's inevitable. Where's the incentive to try and score a, a, a legitimate goal, a normal goal? Because if you get yourself into the area, if you are even stood in the area and not offside and you receive the ball, there are myriad chances now <laughs> for you to earn a penalty, right? And strikers, the more cynical strikers, will slowly learn as time goes by. And we, you'll start seeing more and more antics as people start to realise how easy it is to earn yourself a penalty. I mean, you know, we saw that Mohamed Salah. He knew what he was doing. Kearney, it, it was a bit of a dive. Um, I think it was, you know, Ben Rama obviously hadn't gone in to foul him. I think he could have easily stayed on his feet. But I mean, you know, Salah, that was that was just a day. He felt one tap and he went down. You know, a referee should be able to say, give me a break. Stand up. He didn't kick you over. The kick needs to be hard enough to actually yeah. stop a player. 
to stop a grown man, a grown athlete in his tracks and prevent him from scoring the goal. It doesn't, you can't, I don't understand what even the reasoning is behind if you make physical contact, then that's against the rule. It's like, it's an arbitrary mad rule. Like the people who create these rules just love seeing more penalties. And also, I feel like if we saw more consistency from rest in, in, in the fact that if a player were able to get fouled in the box and not like dive or exaggerate contact like Salah, and then, you know, give the penalty, we'll see it a lot less. And I feel like that's why players almost feel compelled to like go down at the slightest contact. Uh, um, against the Arsenal, sorry, not Arsenal, the Man City Liverpool game, people were saying Sterling was fouled in the box, but because he, he didn't go to ground, it wasn't given as a penalty. And it's just another example. If that were to be given a penny, we'll be seeing it a lot less. And, you know, managers and, and what have you, they'll be feeling a lot less angry because, you know, people yeah, will be giving see, This is effectively encouraging yeah. players to what we would have called in the old days, dive. They will say, well, no, if you touch me, I'm going to go down because uh, it is a penalty. And they're right, it is a penalty if they go down, right? So it is an encouragement to dive. This is a mad thing to say that will probably haunt me. Maybe I've just got my head head all muddled up. I would rather see if there's going to be incorrect decisions, which there always have been. I would find it much more frustrating to see a penalty given when there clearly wasn't cause for one, then I would see that I would to see a penalty denied when there was legitimate cause for one. I don't know if that makes sense. I've said it off the top of my head, but I kind <laughs> of feel as if if a player gets fouled in the box and the ref decides he's not going to give it for whatever reason or he doesn't see it properly, you dust yourself down, you're frustrated, but you keep on going, right? But if someone cheats against you, knowingly cheats and throws themselves self down to get a penalty, right? Um, I would say I'm I'm much angrier at that. It's much more frustrating. But you know, I don't know whether I don't know whether the people, the powers that be that create these rules once they've created them are too stubborn and proud to back down on them. I doubt they are because you know we would we would be able to see. Um, changes to VAR. Funny enough, I'm reading Arsene Wenger's book at the moment, and which is a fascinating read. But Wenger bloody loves all this stuff. I think, <laughs> is Wenger sort of somehow involved in creating this stuff? Is that what his role is at Beaver now? I'm not quite sure. But he bloody loves VAR, yeah. right? He loves it because he writes all about how much he was cheated against through his career. And particularly in his early days in France, there was quite, it sounds like there was quite a lot of lawlessness in the French League back then, right? In various different ways. And Wenger is one of these people who, all the things you sort of suspected about him when he was a manager, in this book, he kind of confirms. He sort of says, yeah, I'm, I am pretty mad. I just am obsessed with football and that's all I think about all times and nothing else matters to me at all, right? And I am also obsessed with rules and doing the right thing. He's he's like a, a nightmare school prefect, basically. <laughs> yeah. And he's going, people say to me that VAR's not necessary because correct and incorrect decisions even themselves out across the season. He went, this is absolute, an absolutely unacceptable argument. <laughs> oh, my God. Mate, but can't you see how awful it is watching? I mean, simultaneously, he'll talk about the beauty of the game. Right, and how beautiful and, and artistic the game is, and how it needs to be not based on just you know, um, it needs to be based not just on statistics and strategy, but it needs to bit have sort of spontaneity and flair to it, right? And you sort of think, mate, you can't have both. 
Yeah. Because VAR has just made the whole game governed by a bloody algorithm or something. It's a, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare for everyone, especially us in the press box, having to have to find out what's going on, having to wait the suspense, and when you're not, when you're unsure what's happening as well. It's you, just pure you're on madness. your tweet, your tweet deck, writing three different responses, and like yeah. knowing, not knowing which one to post. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's it's just a headache, a nightmare, everything you can imagine, everything you can imagine, Sam. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What did you think of Ben Rama's performance when he finally got on the pitch? I mean, first of all, it was encouraging to see Moyes actually make some positive substitutions at a reasonably early stage, wasn't it? It was actually funny like, prior to Ben Rama coming on because... I'd say he waited a good 10 minutes mm. before he was brought on the pitch. Moyes, uh, well, before Agbonne went down with injury and obviously replaced by Sidiop, Ben Ram was supposed to come on. So he took his bib off, right? And then Moyes was like, no, 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 wait a bit, go, like, go back to the bench. And then Moyes was like, no, come, 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 come. And he took his bib off again. Then Moyes was like, no, no, go back to the bench again. <laughs> so this happened a good... I said for a good five minutes, and they were thinking, what on earth is happening? One minute he has a bib on, then it's off, then it's on again, and then it's off. And then he called Lanzini to, like, you know, take his bib off as well. And then they put it back on again. So you're thinking, what on earth is going on? And then obviously, eventually, they, uh, they were both brought on the double sub. And when Ben Rama came on, I was really impressed. He looks really lively. And let's not forget, Ben Rama's just been causing full and pure misery over the past four months. So, Russell, that was also good. And prior to the assist for Suchek's goal, he had two good efforts, which were both saved by the goalkeeper. And I was looking at thinking, you know, we have a bit of creativity to come on and change the game. And I was really impressed. And moving forward, it's a good it's a good conundrum for David Moyes because on the wing, he's got uh, four nails on the left and Bowen on the right. And everyone actually thinks it's going to be four nails who lose his place in the team. But I'm sort of saying... Obviously, Bolin's a great player for us, but he's sort of struggled over the past few weeks. He hasn't been able to like, have a real impact. And he is a player you could think of saying, hey, he could be dropped as well. It's not just going to be four now. So, interesting to hear your thoughts on that as well, Sam. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did hear 
a few people criticising Bowen, not in a big way, but saying that it was one of the more disappointing performances. I disagreed with that, actually, because I think, you know, if you look at... He had a couple of amazing uh, shots on target that were, you know, say demanded very good saves from Fulham's keeper to stop them being goals. He's always active. He does an incredible job down the right. I mean, he has to actually cover for um, Kufau quite a lot because Kufau, I thought, for a lot of the game was our main attacking outlet. You know, he's the right wing back, but his crosses from deep were um, something that we just kept repeating again and again and again. It, it actually didn't really... Well, I suppose in the end, it ultimately led to the goal. But it got frustrating because I felt second half, we were getting a bit one-dimensional with those attacks down the right. But because Kufau is clearly encouraged to push up so much because he can deliver those those crosses into the box, Bowen has to do a huge amount of work. Now, would Ben Rama operating on that wing be able to? Um, I don't know. I, I get the suspicion and I've chatted to a couple of Brentford fans I know about, you know, the pros and cons of Ben Rama. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that kept recurring was that he, he, was, he wasn't the best defensively. Although then again, you know, we've seen other players like that who Moyes has managed to sort of drum a bit of discipline into. So perhaps it'll take some coaching. But I think that that is what, that's one of the things we'd lose to Bowen. We'd lose if we if we drop Bowen for the team, and I also think you know Bowen is a genuine goal threat. Not he's not necessarily the same as Ben Rama, and he doesn't have quite as many of those sort of tricks. He doesn't sort of weave in and out of players, but the pace and directness and and the finishing that we've seen him display is what's really and he knows how to pick a pass. Like some of his assists have been fantastic when he's broken away down the right, picked out Antonio for goals. Uh, ben Rama, he had that great sort of um, run, jinking run into the area. And he he elected to shoot from a pretty difficult angle rather than try and find someone in the middle. I would have imagined that Bowen in a similar position would have looked up for the pass. Um, but I don't know, maybe he made the right decision. People said that there wasn't much on for him in the middle. What did you make of that? I saw uh, Hallow was in the middle. Mm. So that's that's a plus. That's a pass he could have made. But every once in a while, I don't mind having a greedy player like Ben Rahman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't mind. Mm. I don't mind. Like, it's always good to be a bit different. And another another thing about um, Ben Rahman's performance was it's just it's just good to have someone that offers something a bit different. You don't mm. want to have everyone who's just the same, makes the same yeah. passes, shoots the same. You want to have someone that you know can just do do something out of nothing which is why in many ways he's always been compared to not always but more recently he's been compared to Payet yeah because they're quite similar in terms just both being able to just do something out of just pure madness that make you go wow how on earth did you do that that's why I think at the moment he is the ideal sub for Moyes um, I don't know what Sullivan will ultimately make of that if, it, if he's someone <laughs> that's going to cost us close to 30 million and we're keeping him on the bench. But I think for now, he is the perfect option for games like the one on Saturday, where our usual attempts at, at breaking down opposition aren't working and we need to throw on something a bit more unpredictable. I can't imagine in a David Moyes team a left-hand side that combines Masuaku and Ben Rama. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's, a really, that's a really good point. And I feel that's another reason why I'm always just reluctant to, you know, put Ben Rama in the starting level right now. As you touched on Ben Rama, perhaps not being 
as good defensively as the likes of Fornals or Bowen are. And we've seen previously Moyes be reluctant to put championship players in at the start. He wants them to at least learn the system, find their way a little bit, and then when they're ready, they'll be involved. And I think that'll be the case for Ben Rama. Well, all encouraging signs. International break now. Uh, and then in a couple of weeks, Sheffield United away. Um, don't know about you, Rashane, but Sheffield United are right up there in the mix of my least favourite clubs. Um, <laughs> just the, the, the bit, I, you know, try as I might, the therapy and all the rest of it has not shed me of the bitterness felt towards <laughs> Sheffield United over the Tevis affair. Um, all I can say is let's hope we do. Uh, I don't know if we, if we do win, never mind VAR. Keep your eye on the law courts because the thing about Sheffield United <laughs> is they'll always find some form of redress, uh, even if they lose. Um, but they're doing badly, aren't they? I mean, last season, I think they got the better of us twice, didn't they? Or did yeah. we get a draw out of them at our place? A draw remember. and a defeat at their place. Yeah, so we haven't fared that well. And they beat us in the cup a couple of years ago. Um, but I think here's our chance. They're struggling. They've got what's known as second season syndrome. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? I'm actually more nervous for this game than I was against Fulham. Right. Because they're tough. I think, I think, I think they're our bogey team, you know? Yeah. I think they're our bogey team. Last season, struggled against them. To be fair, the game where we lost 1-0 at, uh, at their ground, I, I, I reckon that was a draw. I'm calling it a draw because VAR mm-hmm. cost us. Yeah. Not, that was the handball. That was the handball, in fact, with Declan Rice. Yeah. And they brought up for Snodgrass's goal. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not... Like 100% confident for that match, it will be tough, like really tough. In many ways, it'll be similar to the game against Fulham. They'll make it hard for us. It'll probably be a 1 0 win for, for, for West Ham, but it'll be really difficult. Just before we go, got anything for us um, coming up in the Athletic this week worth looking out for? Well, listeners, I'm having a much deserved break. So there should be one piece on Saturday on what's it like to be released by West Ham. I spoke to two young players who just. You know, I spoke about the depression and how it's not always glamorous and there's always, you know, an alternative if you don't make it at a club. So that's one of my favourite pieces since I've joined who, the Athletic. Who, who are the players, mate? Uh, a player called Ben Marlow mm. and Matt Carter. So pretty much unheard of in a respectful way, yeah. but it's a story that, you know, a lot of people can relate to. So that's one to look out for. And yeah, I'll be on a beat somewhere, you know, having a nice cocktail and, and enjoying my break until I get back, listeners. Oh, mate. Well, you know, be safe. The vaccine's not quite ready yet. (laughs) Um, But hopefully it will be soon. And we'll all be back at the London Stadium by next spring at the latest, which is really exciting news for us all to think about during the international break. Because, of course, everything else about an international break is completely miserable. Um, So let's just focus on the good stuff. If you want to read any of Rashane's pieces, including that fantastic piece he just mentioned, remember... Go to athletic.com forward slash West Ham pod and you can subscribe right now to The Athletic for just £1 a week. Great West Ham writing and wider football writing every day yeah. of the week. That's it for now, Rashane. Um, yeah. Enjoy your break. Oh, Sam, one last thing. I just yeah. want to say to listeners, thank you so much for like, all the positive messages. Like Me and Sam, we do see you. Man. Sometimes you can't always get back to you guys, but we definitely appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. Um, and, you know, we, we when we are around, then we're really always keen to chat about any of your thoughts about what we've said on the podcast or what's going on with the Hammers. Get in touch. Uh, Rashane's at Rashane Sport and I am at Delaney Man. Thanks for listening. Up the Hammers. Come on, you irons, etc. But remember, most importantly of all, everyone... 
There's only one. Samasia Boo. Samasia Boo. Boo.